0: with Reginald boot with the fourth episode of the puyallup nissan podcast Reginald, introduce yourself
1: well my name is Reginald boot i'm a salesman here at bill corn pull up nissan Uh, i've been selling nissans for almost 20 years now i guess and here at the dealership for a good uh, for almost 10 years total
0: so the one thing i like about your story is you had a career before the car business. And can you tell me a little bit about that, what you did before you got into the car business? What was your main job?
1: Well, my main job? Well, I was in the United States Army. Yeah. I joined in 1981. And um, I was uh, basically, uh, as everybody understands, I was infantry uh, the majority of the time. That's when I, my MOS was 11 Bravo. but. I of course progressed in the infantry well, after 24 years from regular rifleman to rotello to team leader, squad leader, um, assistant uh, actually weapon squad leader then and then became a platoon sergeant and then also was an acting first sergeant uh, and a first sergeant for a while and then but I also worked in the operations side of it in the Army, uh, in theater operations, working for a four star general uh, for three years. And then I got into, of course, uh, just before that, I was also in drill, sar- as a drill sergeant, uh, training new soldiers that were coming into the, the military, actually training civilians to become soldiers and teaching them the skills of uh, what they needed to do to become become a, a fantastic soldier themselves and uh towards the end of my career i i uh was uh, a title 11 is what they called it and basically what i was doing is evaluating nco academies and drill sergeant schools and the officer candidate program uh, to make sure that they were doing the right things for those individuals and also making sure that they met all the standards and you served in a few wars right i had some uh, We're not gonna call them wars, uh, conflicts, yes. Yeah, so you were overseas.
0: And what I find so unique about your story and what brought you into the car business is, at any point, maybe those last few years of your military service, um, did you ever think the car business was ever in your future or was that something (laughs) that just happened randomly?
1: Yeah, I didn't think that ever. I never looked at the car business before. Until one day that uh, my wife and I my, myself went into a car dealership, and and uh, basically I'd, I I was teaching a a junior ROTC at the time, and I suffered a heart attack, and we needed a new car, so we went to this car dealership and getting a new car for the wife and getting a new car for myself, and and uh, the people at that dealership were were kind of instrumental on 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 why I wanted to become a a car salesman. In a way, they had a job opening, they jokingly asked me if I wanted to be a salesman. And I said, well, sure, fantastic, can I apply? And uh, two days later, uh, I started working as a car salesman.
0: Wonder, you know, you've been around this business now for a long time, and one thing I've never understood is why, you know, especially in a big military area that we're in next to JBLM, Why hasn't enough people when they ended their career in the military? Because we love to hire people that are previous. Why aren't they thinking the auto industry? Why do they go to these other, I don't know if it's government jobs or what, you know, maybe it's stability or what. But what do you think would encourage more people to get into the auto industry? If it's mechanics, salespeople, um, recon, whatever it is. Or do you think that's just not a right fit and you're just a unique candidate that made (laughs) it and been so successful?
1: Um. I think people are scared of going into sales. And they're not. They're not really aware that sales is actually a good place to be able to go to. Although we've had a few individuals that were uh, prior military that did come to our dealership, and we had two of them. Yeah, and they did well. And they, but they decided to go to another uh, auto agency, and and they're doing well there now. Um, but the thing is, is most people that when they get ready to retire from the military. They're, they're looking at career-oriented positions more associated with their field rather than, and there's nothing in the military that's associated with cars. Yeah. So they're really unaware. So they like to be, you know, like
0: police officers or work in the U.S. Postal right. Service or something like that. That's interesting. Do you think that, uh, like when you were in your last few years or you went to job fairs and this is, they talked about other stuff, did they? Did the auto industry ever show up or car dealerships ever show up? I know you've done some stuff to reach out to JBLM to, to yeah, get them we've excited. Yeah, um,
1: Actually, I've not really even, during job fairs in the time that I was progressing out of the military or actually uh, uh, getting ready to retire from the military, the job fairs didn't actually have anybody that would go to these job fairs that would promote uh, car business. Yeah.
0: Uh, what was the very first job you got, like, when your military service ended? And when was that, 2005? 2005. What was the very first job you got?
1: Um, I <coughs> The very first job I got, I, I went to I taught at the University of Southern California, ROTC, under uh, ComTech. Yeah. And worked in a major's position. What was that like, that transition
0: there? Or did you like it, or was it like you were thinking this is going to be... Uh, Well,
1: transitioning from active duty military to uh, teaching ROTC is very similar. I mean, uh, because I've got the operations experience already, um, it was very easy for me to move from retired military to a, like an S3 or operations position within uh, USC. That was pretty simple because I was fully aware of how to run operations within a, a regular battalion or a brigade or theater. So that was simple, but um, transitioning out of the military to a civilian job is difficult, but when you transition from the military to a, a field that is very, uh, very well affiliated with the military, it's pretty simple. Yeah. But when you, when I transitioned into the car dealership, initially I think I was scared uh, that I wasn't gonna make enough because uh, I didn't have the experience. But as long as you got people skills and you're uh, and you're fully aware of the product, I, you can sell them. You, you can sell a car to anybody that is looking for a car. As long as you got the knowledge about the vehicles and, and you're basically presenting the vehicle to them because that's what they want. They want somebody that's there to show them uh, the features, advantages, and benefits of the vehicle. One thing
0: that you're very talented with that not very many people have this skill is training. And obviously everybody likes to pass on something that they know to somebody, but you've trained so many people that didn't make it and it was nothing against you. It was just because the time wasn't right. They just weren't into the job. How do you keep the energy up to whenever we get a new hire that you could go through all the motions, you know, tell the ins and outs, everything from test driving cars to getting familiarized with <coughs> NNA Net. How do you keep that up and stay steady from when you first did it with the first person all the way to the most recent person? I just don't know how <laughs> you think you'd get like frustrated over time like this never even pans out half the time.
1: Well, um, for the majority of the individuals that I've that trained, I mean they did well initially. Um, yeah, We have to kind of shadow them a little bit but as soon as they get the hang of it, then they start to maneuver through themselves and they do well. Yeah um, Why they leave? Uh, sometimes um, They get tired of the process and the hours that you that we do put in. Yeah um, Doesn't seem to to fit their Their social schedule. Yeah. But the thing is it's if, if you take a look around at other jobs, too If you're gonna make it someplace, you've got to give 100% and if you don't give a 100% then um you're probably not going to last another position either but giving 100 percent here um you'll make it
0: so you kind of like on uh you have your dual side because you're also our olm manager owner loyalty manager that's a nissan term so you have to you know manage our reputation um online for like google and all the rest of the reviews and obviously our surveys and stuff um it just those are tedious things i mean that, that just shows how you, you you've shown your value over the years like you're obviously a tremendous salesperson, and when you um you know if it, if it's mm-hmm. personal or whatever you, you have had to take care of things you could still be given it 100 percent and giving back to the business and that's why we appreciate it but like that that's just something that i've always admired about you uh we call you boot here just it's your last name but uh by the way this is a little side thing so i've heard you be called reginald reggie boot what was the name that you were named like <laughs> what's the name that do you, do you just have these different faces of, of
1: names which one do you like to go by the most i think boot's a lot easier than than reggie or reginald or reg um it doesn't really matter what you call me as long as uh you call me something yeah and uh i mean did your parents call you reggie yeah they called me reggie hmm. And you're you're from Iowa, right? Originally from Iowa, yeah. Waterloo? No, Sioux Center, Iowa. Sioux Center. Totally different area than
0: Waterloo. I don't know why I remember somewhere in our conversations in yeah. the past it was Waterloo. Uh, when you moved out to the west, what, um, so you've been on the west coast primarily in Southern California and up here in Seattle. What's your favorite part of the um, United States?
1: Right here. Right here. Right here.
0: What's your favorite part of the,
1: w- outside of the United States, places you've lived? The different countries? Yeah. Um, I, I like history, so Heidelberg was a really a good area for uh, not just myself, but also the family. Uh, we were able to see a lot of historical features of, about, uh, from World War II, World War One, And because I'm the military, uh, so we traveled a- around Europe a lot. Uh, and seen a lot of things Um Germany and the, the Netherlands, France, Italy uh, even Spain, Um but um, Getting back to what you were also saying about reputation management. Yes, yes, let's go back to the car business. I got sidetracked um, Reputation management is a little different than selling cars because you're mo- yeah, monitoring not only reviews um uh, from salespeople, but also from, from service. So when you do that, I mean, I'm not directly answering people's questions. I'm replying to some of the reviews but uh, if there's something that's a, a problem then I go directly to whether it be service or to the sales managers to and make sure that the right person is contacted uh, the right managers are making the calls to these individuals and not myself
0: What's a mistake that you think that dealerships as a whole make that we could fix with one like fail, swo- like one big swoop like Where you see a reoccurring theme and you think gosh, if we just did this it would change everything You
1: got to rephrase that
0: okay, so like a reoccurring theme and I want to like point any department, so i guess is a kind of a hard question to answer answer but uh like if you are a customer and you you review us what is something that you think dealerships could do better
1: dealerships could uh one of the biggest things that customers uh might not be happy with is time yeah um we do a good job of taking care of customers time um, up until the point of when they are waiting to go to finance. Um, our salespeople need to stick with the customer until they get into finance but the, the process of finance does take quite a long time. And then and, you and
0: probably see that same theme out in service as well when they have time constraints and they have to wait right in excess amount of time for a well with tank.
1: our dealership I mean, there's our dealerships a little bit different than a lot of dealerships that are within our area because We're a large dealership and we've got people that are buying cars from other dealerships within our area that come to our service department because yeah. we're a larger dealership. That's a good point. Some some people need to understand the volume of service that actually occurs at our dealership well, will constrain them for time and if they don't understand that then uh, I'm sorry, but when you only have so many technicians and so many uh, when You have so many technicians and then you have a vast amount of customers that are bringing their cars in uh, it, Sometimes it's going to cut into their time and people need to be aware of that because when you have All these other individuals that are buying cars from other dealerships, but they want to bring their cars here to our dealership and get it serviced uh, It's going to cut into time constraints.
0: And that's a good point because I think about like our service department has certain technicians that other Nissan stores don't have like a GTR technician or some of the electrical or electric vehicle ones like we had to get all those additions to our service department for like the EVs basically is what I'm getting at so we get that constraint and we're seeing that a lot all manufacturers the last three years during COVID with a lot of cars staying on the road or people keeping their cars on the road. It's caused this um, service departments to be overloaded. So it causes CSI issues. So you sold, let's go back to your sales career. So you sold cars you started selling cars. We were starting touching on that. You started, you've sold Nissans for 20 years. You've been here since 2013. It was down in Southern California. What was the very first new, new
1: Nissan you sold? Do you remember it? first new Nissan I sold, um, I believe it was Altima. Uh, Altima.
0: And what is your thoughts on, um, let me think of this through, what, I always like to get this take from people that actually sell cars, the customers, our customers really wanting to buy
1: cars differently this day and age than they did when you first started? Oh yeah. Uh, there's been a total change on uh, uh, how customers want to purchase cars uh, from when I first started. Um, internet uh, now is, is so overwhelming uh, compared to 20 years ago or even 15 years ago, even 10 years ago. Um, we'll just say 15 years ago, You, that's when internet basically started with, with car sales at dealerships, whether it be Nissan, Ford, it doesn't make a difference. Um, but it was, it was about 15 years ago when you had internet departments and you would get uh, leads, but now your internet department is not the lead that you're getting, you're getting individuals that are actually looking at a particular vehicle. Um, and it's a little bit uh, overwhelming because you, you're not just talking to people that live within the community, but also individuals that live outside of your community but they want to buy from you, yeah. And they always want, you know, everybody wants the best price. Um, but back, you know, 15 years ago or 10 years ago, there was uh, uh, even before the pandemic, we had rebates and, and 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 incentives, you know. But now, because of the pandemic, that changed everything within the car industry. And there's little rebates and and discounts, and there's not much haggling anymore going on, <coughs> which which is good not only for the salespeople, but it's also good for the customer to understand that.
0: Yeah. I don't think people realize that the haggling uh, was stressful. I know it's stressful on the customer, but it was really stressful on the sales too. You know, it's not fun to be able to, you know, the way they, you know, dealers mismatched uh, rebates and make it appear that you could get all these different ones and they'd show a real, you know, an Ultima for 19 grand brand new. And the thing was 26 on the MSRP and you had to be the, person to give them the bad news well only three of those thousand rebates now those are over now the best thing to do is is get a good interest rate which are obviously through the manufacturers like nemac which is nissan's bank gives you stuff as low as like zero percent on titans right now up here in our region zero for 60 and you know zero
1: for 36 on the rogues
0: on the rogues exactly what advice would you give like if you had a obviously give advice to a friend to buy a car from you but Like to someone that lives in a different part of the country, like if they're on the search for a Nissan Altima, how would you go about it if you were going to give someone advice to go to a dealership? Like, and they have a trade. So I'm going to play out a scenario. They have a trade, good credit. They have an Altima. They tell you, I don't want to waste a bunch of time at the dealer. I just want to get in and out. I want to buy, I want to buy the car. And what kind of advice would you give that person to do?
1: Well, the best thing if they've got a trade, if they're, if they're in contact with the dealership whether it be us or another dealership and, and they've got a trade The best thing that they can do is actually take pictures of their car and, and multiple pictures uh, At least I would say a minimum seven pictures of the car or all the way around the car Including the VIN number and the mileage uh, And make sure that you're up front with the, uh, with the dealership about your car if it's been in an accident or not I mean the dealership's going to find out when they run the VIN number anyway but be straight up front and understand that the value of your trade is going to be a play a big part in the sale of your uh, of your uh, in the sale of your new car as well. I mean, here at our dealership and any dealership here, you're going to get um, what's that called again? Uh, when you you you'd say your trade's worth twenty thousand, um, you're going to get two, you're going to get tax credit tax as well. Tax credit, yeah. uh, And some people are unaware of that as well. Um, but when you talk to the dealership ask them questions uh, uh, about uh, What the value of your car is but understand that the value of your car is based upon what that your car It's uh, going to go for uh, locally or, or even nationally
0: Is it you think that would you play like would you tell them to like look at reviews and things like that at the dealership before oh, they absolutely. go in Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I think reviews are, are, are a key part when you want to look at uh, a dealership is if it's, it's you see multiple bad reviews, especially uh, about the sales process, um, why would you want to go to that dealership?
0: Yeah, that's you know, it's funny because we've watched dealers you know inflate their score, you know, with whatever ours are true, as true could be, you know, we tell people to do it, and we're at a four seven, four point seven on Google, and you know, all the rest, and it's um that would be the number one thing I would do. I, you know, certain times of the week too, I always think like, you know, a lot of times, you know, on a Saturday afternoon, if you're planning to buy a car and I know people have schedules, they have, they can't buy a car maybe on a Wednesday afternoon, but if you're really worried about time, like, um, some of the less busier times, if you ever bought a car on a weekday morning, generally speaking, you're going to get in and out and you're going to get all the attention from the sales manager, the salesman, the finance person, and get like, you know, not that we give the, we give the royal treatment at anything, but just things get bottlenecked at certain points. What about technology on cars? What's what's your feeling? Do you think cars are um, so far advanced from like an 07 Altima versus a 2023? Like how far, or do you think they could be better? Do you, do you are, what's your
1: well, things? Uh, 07 Altima, what, what safety measures did you have on an 07 Altima? Blind-spot warning just came out, right? Yeah, you had blind-spot warning. Did you have front forward emergency braking? No Did you have a backup sensor? No, but you had a backup camera. Yeah, that started in uh, Yeah, that started 06 07 Um, But the thing you know Actually, the backup camera was even before that but the sensors were starting right around there but now you've got you got lane departure warning lane departure prevention got forward emergency braking, rear emergency braking, I and mean, the whole 360 uh, safety uh, theory that Nissan has, uh, it far exceeds everybody else. And uh, I think Nissan's are one of the safest cars on the road because of that. And they, you know, they were just
0: getting backup cameras and things back then. I mean, some people mistake like looking at a key and be like, well, these haven't advanced at all, but you know, they put too much stock in a key or, you know, a body style, but you go from like a 2019 even to a 2023, like on a frontier, you see this the dramatic changes they have uh, on the technology. What's your um, what's what what do, what are customers asking about right now, like on packages? Like, what, what do you hear a theme? Like, are they really worried about the forward warning, the 360 cameras? Are they just like, I like the color and I like the toe capacity?
1: Well, it depends on the vehicles, of course. I mean based upon like if you're talking Frontiers or Titans um, the Frontier is the hot selling truck right now and and I think a lot of people um, They're they're looking for comfort. They're they're looking for towing capacity. They're they're looking for maneuverability. Yeah, um, but they like the safety features that the Frontier has as well Uh, and, and a lot of people really like that and it depends on it depends on the individuals too. It depends what they're going to use the vehicle for if it's a family vehicle Of course safety is key um, Especially if you go to the Rogue or the or the Pathfinder or the Murano or, or the Ultimates. So um, so, um We're coming up on the 30-minute mark So
0: we'll kind of end with this, but i'm really curious on your take on this So you've, you've been buying nissans as well selling them and all the things that we've talked about today you just recently went from a rogue to a Nissan aria. What has your experience been like that first month?
1: Um, I tell you I, I was I, I put the order in for the aria um, in May of you know when I put that order in, like right when they started. Yeah, um, and I wasn't sure if I really wanted to go e v. Yeah. But I'll tell you what when the Aria came out and I, I went to the test drive for Nissan the ride and drive actually with Nissan I pretty much fell in love with that Aria um, And now that I've, I've had the Aria for a few months or a few weeks actually, yeah, for only a few weeks about a month and a week um, I enjoy the drive the safety features are fantastic talk about comfortable. It's crazy comfortable. I, uh, I love this car Yeah, and and I'm really surprised that more people aren't moving towards it, but understand uh, When will the infrastructure actually be good to have only EV cars? I'm not sure if it's ever gonna get that way. I think gas and EV together I think will exist for a very long time.
0: That's right because you you have a little bit of a commute and
1: uh, You You go
0: in many different ways, you, you drive a motorcycle. Some like this time of year, you'll take your you know EV and obviously all your gas cars in the back. Um, you know, and that's not just as much of a Nissan problem as it is you know, it's a joint problem. If it's state governments, federal governments, right. then you have all these different manufacturers that want to put just their chargers in, like Tesla, which isn't fair because you know w- when you're driving down the highway and you're out of juice. And your only option is a Tesla and it doesn't hook up to yours. I mean is I guess that's a question people ask a lot Can you charge at any station or is there some stations with your Nissan aria that you cannot charge on?
1: Means- I don't know Um On my on the map inside of my aria There's multiple stations that that are, reg- that are registered that I can charge on. Yeah, I mean I didn't I haven't traveled a long distance yet Um I've been up to um, Linden, Washington, but I didn't even have a problem because I mean, I can go 318 miles uh, on with the Aria from fully charged to uh, to depleted, to uh, so I really didn't have a, that issue. I charged up in uh, Bellingham, and uh, I, uh, I I do think that all the charging stations should be good for all of the manufactured cars in the United States. I don't think it should be. Uh, independent like Tesla independent charging stations. I think it should be if we're gonna move towards a, uh, an EV solution um, The infrastructure should be set up for all EV cars. Period. I,
0: I Get what some manufacturers are doing It's like if they're putting if they're doing the heavy load and spending the money and buying the land to put it up there Why should they benefit all the electric ones? I mean, but again, it's like I, I don't know how it's gonna work, but it, it, I guess we'll get back to you on the next time we talk to you on this podcast on what your experience is like but uh, with driving an electric car of course but it's it's an interesting transition and a lot of people are making it the studies are out I saw a study for the first time it was like over 60% of people in the United States and states other than like Washington, Oregon, California, like middle of the co- state middle of the uh, country states. Marked down on a survey, whoever did it, that they're interested in an EV for their next purchase, which is crazy because, like, you'd done that survey 10 years ago, it would have probably been less than 10 percent of people. Yeah, now. I agree. And now, you know, Nissan the one thing that Nissan uh never gets credit for is they kind of led the way with EV cars. I know Tesla gets you know they made all the fancy designs and stuff, but obviously, the Leaf came out in 11. And then, then you know, Tesla's first model came out was 14 and, and so on. But Nissan's been, you know, chipping away at this whole electric vehicle thing. And, and they put all their eggs in that basket versus the hybrid. Like, we haven't made a hybrid, I don't think, in the last several model years. And any model Nissan's made when you see Toyotas and things like that, they're still going strong, which they do make a good one and nothing wrong with the Toyotas. But it'll be interesting to see how this whole thing pans out. But... um I think that's it. Is there anything else you want to add? Any part of your story or your any encouragement if anybody just, listens uh, to this? Uh,
1: invite people to come into Bill Cohn, and Pilop, Nissan. And, and if you've got questions, to ask the whatever salesman that you're associated with or that you feel comfortable with. Um, and we're always here to help. Yeah, you can find uh, Reginald Boot on our website if you want to
0: email him. It's there. And uh, this was fun, so I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you.